Welcome to Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith. In the next two episodes, we have on the Reverend Juris Doctorate Lise Faye. Lise is someone I deeply admired while I was in grad school at Vanderbilt. She's insanely creative, talented, brilliant, and does it all with such beauty and grace. And what I love about Lise is that she's not just one thing. She has a myriad of gifts and abilities. She can't just be one thing because then she wouldn't be herself. What you will hear in this episode is her heart for justice and for God, who energize and direct her life's path no matter where it's led her. She honors that core of her identity, and her faith compels her in all the ways that lease is lease. An artist, a lawyer, a priest, a theologian, a mother, and a friend, Lise gives me hope I can be everything I am called to be as well. I'm honored to share this episode with you all. Here's Lise sharing her story. I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast. Today, I am here with my friend and colleague, Lise Valle. She is born and raised in Puerto Rico. She's an So you're an eternal student, a tetri, tetriera? How do you say that? Teatrera. Yeah, you say it. It's a what? theater practitioner, practitioner, but yeah, you don't have a word in English for that, so yeah, that's, I don't mean Spanish, and you're an educator and a preacher. You're an yes. ordained minister of the Word and Sacraments in the PCUSA, which is the Presbyterian Church. Lisa served as a teacher, theater director, and producer, actress, Christian educator, or Christian education writer, stewardship educator, event planner, manager, and workshop leader in acting, liturgical dance, and Christian education. Her preference is devising and ritual. Wanting to know de todo un poco, Lise tends to collect degrees and is now about to finish a PhD in homiletics and liturgics at Vanderbilt University, formally trained in experimental theater and theater of the oppressed, and informally trained in too many art forms to list. Most recently, Lise has been experimenting with burlesque in worship and preaching. Her art is not for entertainment. She is committed to... Uh, use performing arts to contribute to the healing of the world and bring about justice and liberation. Welcome, Lise. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you. Oh, my gosh. All of these things are so cool and, like, intense. I don't know where to start, but let's start to unpack some of this. So you were born in Puerto Rico. How long were you there? Did you do your undergrad there, too? Uh, yes, I did a couple of degrees over there. Um, I did my undergrad and my Juris Doctor. Oh, that's and, right. Yes, and half of the Masters of Divinity. I studied five years of the Masters of Divinity there because I was working full-time. And then I got a job with the Presbyterian Church, the National Offices in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I transferred to the Presbyterian Seminary in Louisville and... I lost many credits, so it was another five years of studies. So the MDF took me <laughs> 10 years of my life. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yes. yes. Wow. And I got it. Yeah, you are an eternal student. I feel like yes. that's what I am, but you take it to a whole nother level. Like I, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yes. Did you ever practice law, though? 
Yes, for maybe four years. Four years. I was a solo practitioner. I was doing mostly immigration law. Uh-huh. Oh, that's... I did a little bit of family law, um, administrative laws, and big companies were our clients and stuff like that. But um, for the most part, I, I practiced immigration law until I couldn't work anymore. And that was the year in which I started my MD studies. Mm-hmm. Then I switched completely to work for the church. My first year of seminary was something else. I had two part-time jobs um, and a baby, oh. a toddler baby, and, um, and and another son that was already like a pre-adolescent. And, and the two part-time jobs that I had were in opposite sides of the island. Oh my. One was in Fajardo and the other one in Mayagüez, exactly the opposite sides of the island. So some days I went to one side of the island and the other days to the other side. It was a very crazy year. I, I wow. really don't know how I did that. Um, but that was that was a very difficult transition year, that first year of seminary. Um, but then after that, I, I, wasn't, I didn't practice law anymore after that. And then when I moved to the States, that was in 2004 when I started the degree. I moved to the States, to the continental States in 2008. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I surrendered my license because um, I was not, I had not been using it for a while and I was not planning to practice law in the States. So uh-huh. I just uh, make so, it easier for everybody. Right. So why did you switch? Why did you stop practicing law to pursue ministry? <laughs> um, I got sick. Um, at the moment, I didn't know it. Uh, it was, and a lot of things happened. But the short story is that I, um, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and I, I was not doing my job right. And so, because I was a solo practitioner, that makes things harder, right? Because I, I'm, I'm dependent totally on me. Mm-hmm. On and to go to work to to set up things to, and I couldn't do any of that and and so when I started being ineffective, um, then I just I just went home because I couldn't. It wasn't working. It wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for my clients, and there was too much at risk. I mean, it's it felt like a big responsibility to have in my hands the liberty, the freedom, the property of people. And if I made a mistake, it was going to be a huge loss for them. So I just, I just went home, mm-hmm. but I didn't know at the moment that I was, that I was depressed. Um, I discovered it because uh, as part of, of going to seminary, university um, and church, as, as any other denominations required um, inquirers, to go through um, psychological examination, right? And the person who did it was the one who said, "I I think you need um, more tests than just this generic test for ministers." And at that point, she she told me that she suspected or that that she thought that I had clinical depression. So, but because she was hired by the church, she couldn't take care of me. So, she gave me a referral. And the presbytery was um, kind enough that they, because I was unemployed at the moment, they were, they, they just took care of the bills. And 
and and then when I went to another to another professional and that professional confirmed that I was depressed, then I got I got a person that would um, regularly see me. So that that's how I started going to treatment, and that's why I I switch. I mean, it didn't it just happened. It's not something that I planned that I was not gonna do it. It's just I tried and things were not working and then the sickness and then I got to seminary. But I didn't, I had, I had started the process to go to seminary maybe a year before and it was stuck, like things were not moving. In fact, when I moved from the house a few years later, I discovered a letter that I had written because in the Presbyterian Church, the process begins with the person writing a letter to the session, to mm. the elders of the of the local congregation. Mm-hmm. And I did that when I was in high school. Oh, wow. So, but I never submitted it until I was already a lawyer. So when I was already like settled, it was maybe my second year working as a lawyer. And I felt that, that I had some stability in my life. That's when I started officially the process of, going to seminary mm-hmm. um, and then and then things didn't move for a while and then suddenly when I'm in my house doing nothing somebody showed up at my house and said like hey you've been approved to move forward and what are you doing and I'm like nothing and they said like well then go full time to seminary <laughs> which is odd in Puerto Rico it's odd most people don't do that uh, and I was like I don't think I can do that and it was a series of miracles because that that conversation happened and within a week I was studying, like I was enrolled, and it, I mean, I had to do um, late enrollment. And the miracle was that they asked for a lot of papers. That when they told me that I needed all of that to to start taking classes, I was like, "This is not going to happen." Because the person, I mean, it took them a year to tell me that yes, <laughs> I could move to the next step. So it's like they're not going to give me all these papers in a week. But whatever they gave me within the week worked, and. There were some things pending, so the seminary decided to take me, like, in probation. So it was a funny thing because then I ended up taking, like, advanced theology classes instead of the basic research classes because Uh they wouldn't allow me officially, right, just yet. Yeah. It was was silly, but but it it was a great experience that semester. Yeah. But so was ministry always something you wanted to do? Like since clearly since you wrote that letter in high school, you know, it's funny. Funny thing is that when I was a little girl, um, I, what I wanted to be was the pastor of a, the the wife of a pastor. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't want to be a pastor. Oh, my mom was a pastor. She became a pastor when I was in, she went to seminary when I was in third grade, more or less. And so when I was going to middle school, she was ordained. And for me, that was devastating. It was like, I was, I went into a crisis. It was like, oh, I lost my mom. God took away my mom <laughs> and things like that. And so, but I loved the work of the church. I loved what my mom did. I loved my life in the church. Yeah. And, and I wanted to do just that, but, but I didn't want to have the whole responsibility. I just, uh, so I wanted to support and in order to do that, I thought, okay, I'll be the, the wife of the pastor. Um, but that, of course, didn't happen. <laughs> you are too strong and smart of a woman <laughs> to be hanging out in a kitchen somewhere. Are you kidding me? Right. That's that hilarious. Is, it is true. 
You know, it's <laughs> funny. I I thought I wanted to go to law school too. It was be, it was between theology and law school, and I I actually took the LSAT and studied for it and everything. And um, I just I knew like the same skill set was required, like right. of, you know, critical thinking and arguing and you know, helping people. But I just realized the content of what I was passionate about was way more theology than law. I mean, law would have been interesting and a fun challenge, but it doesn't light up my, my world like theology does, you know? Yeah. I hear you. I mean, you had, you have an advantage because, um, I didn't know that. (laughs) I just, (laughs) what my search was for justice. That's what I was looking for. I went to law school because I wanted to look for justice and I, and I went to seminary because I wanted, I wanted to work for justice. I mean, yeah. for me, for me, God and justice go together. Yeah. But there's also the stories on how I felt called for, for both are interrelated. In fact. Yeah, go into that. Um, so, so when I was a little girl, this is when I decided I wanted to go to seminary or be a, a pastor of the wife of a pastor, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, That's just cracking me up every time you see, like knowing you, you know, and all the work you've done. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up in Puerto Rico. <laughs> but but anyway, your mama was a pastor. Like, yes. And she's a very strong woman. And, yeah. and her mother before her and her grandma before her. This is a long line <laughs> of very strong, strong blood. Women. Yeah. Yes. So it's, I don't know. Anyway, so... <laughs> So yeah, the thing going. is, when I was when I was around nine, I had this dream that I was part of a theater troupe that would go places, and we had two different vehicles. One of them was um, like a wagon that you I I I think I saw it in the cartoons on TV, uh, like from the west old west kind of wagons. So we used that wagon as the as the place for us to change our costumes and put on our makeup. And then we had a kind of wagon that in Puerto Rico, way before my time, was used to carry um, sugar cane. I grew up in front of a sugar mill. My parent, my father and his father before him, they worked their whole life for the sugar industry in Puerto Rico. So I was familiar visually with this kind of uh, vehicle that was pulled, back in the day it was pulled by oxes. Um, to carry sugarcane, in my dream, it was it was a carriage with horses, sort of thing. And we would go from place to place and use that. The carriage for sugarcane didn't have sugarcane, so that was the stage. It was like a mobile stage. And and then the other one was where we would travel and and also, as I said, change and put on the costumes and all of that. So it was like backstage. And we would stop places and just... Uh, what I felt called at the moment was to proclaim the gospel through dramatic arts. But then, so that, that stayed there. That was the reason why I went undergrad to study theater. Everybody was like, oh, you're going to like, um, morirte de hambre. You're going to die of hunger. Very dramatic people. They don't really know what is to die of hunger. Um, but, you know, they would say like, I wouldn't make money for a living if I studied theater. So I went to do, um, I went to the education department. But the major was in theater. And in my last year, all of this time, I'm working to make my dream come true in a very literal sense, right? And I'm still thinking I'm going to be, maybe I will go to seminary, but I'm not going to be a pastor. 
Mm-hmm. And, and my last year of the bachelor's degree, the second to last semester, I, I just woke up one day and I'm sure I had a dream, but I don't remember it. And I just had this strong feeling in my chest that I had to go to law school. And, and I was like, I, and I was sleeping that night. I was sleeping at my parents' house. Um, and I already had one, my first son. And when I said this in the, in the morning, in, in the kitchen of my parents' house, my father said, Dale, I support you. Go ahead. Um, so I was like, okay, what next? So um, that week when I was getting into my car in the, in the alley behind the street, behind the theater of the university, right there in front of the door of my car was a brochure to the law school, hmm. like right there on the floor, waiting for me to get to my car so I could read it. Oh, wow. And I, I, that was a very creepy moment. It was like, <laughs> okay, God, I think you're speaking to me. And, and so I was like, well, I need to be sure if this is God calling me to law school. So I'm going to only apply to this law school, which is, they said that it was the hardest to get in. So that's what I did. I only applied to that one. Um, and I always, 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 one of the things that happened, I think it happened before I had the dream, was that I saw uh, in a very interesting way, in a moment that should have never happened, uh, I saw a man stop a car in the middle of the street without turning off the car or closing the door. He stepped out of the car violently took a woman and pulled her into the car and left. And I called the police and the police never showed up. And that was in my heart all the time that I'm negotiating with God, if God is calling me or not to go to law school. Right. So pretty much all my papers from law school are related to um, domestic violence or gender. And... So that's how that's how I felt called to law school. But then how I was reminded to go to seminary, I think, happened a couple of times. One as a teenager in summer camp, of course, because that happens to a lot of us. <laughs> and then again, when I was 23, I went to a concert that was not about music. It was about, like, pantomime and liturgical arts. Uh-huh. And they did a calling because it, it was a very evangelical space. And I was very charismatic growing up. People would call me presbycostal. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, yes, God, like I want to serve you full time and all of this. But at the moment, I was married to a person who didn't think that women could be ministers. Mm. So that was part of why I didn't submit that letter that I wrote in high school. Because first, I needed to finish my bachelor's in order to go to seminary. Right. But by the time I finished my bachelor's, I was already married with a kid. And, and he, the, the husband at the moment didn't approve, didn't support. So I was kind of waiting for God to tell him, you know, that this was okay and that this was God's plan. Right. Until one day I realized that, that God was not going to tell him. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I can speak. <laughs> I can tell him that God called me. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I just, the last, the last, the story that, that kind of made things actually happen 
was that um, at that moment when I when I was the thing that wanted me to 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 be a theologian beyond law school or to focus my attention somehow I don't know because um, all this time I'm thinking. I want to go to seminary just to know better, just because I feel called to preach the gospel through the cards. At that moment when I was a, a lawyer, I had enough financial stability that I could do that. I made my dream come true mm-hmm. when I was a lawyer. I recruited um, people who shared a similar vision, and we formed a theater troupe called Decisiones. Um, and we invited people to make decisions for for to, for God. It was exactly that. It was proclaiming the gospel through dramatic arts. Um, but then these things started happening in which people would come to us after the show and they wanted to tell us the story of their life, pretty personal stuff, or they wanted us to pray for them. And, and we didn't have the tools for that. Right. And and then the kids, and I call them kids because I was married with children. And at this point, I already had the second baby. They were most most of them were in high school or in college, and they looked up to me as their leader and uh, as a <clears throat> caretaker and spiritual caretaker. Right. And I didn't have the tools for that either. Right. So I figured I I should go to seminary. So. So then that's what prompted me to finally submit the letter. At this point, I'm still negotiating with the father of my children. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to be a pastor. This is what I'm doing is what I want to do. And this is why I need the degree to have the tools and this and that. But then that year, doing theater in the weekends and having two part-time jobs in the opposite sides of the island, that year I, I had a conversation with, with the director of a shelter home for survivors of domestic violence. And I wanted to partner with her to to put together a fundraiser so that the church and my connections with the church could help the shelter and help these women. And the director told me no. And that for me, was very surprising because like who says no to a fundraiser? <laughs> so I asked I asked her why? And she said she said, Do you have any idea how much damage the church does? Oh. Do you know how many of the women that I receive here stay in these abusive relationships because yeah, yeah. their pastors told them. Yeah. Because they say that the Bible says that they need to submit to their husbands. Right. And and she said, these are her words, she said, the church is part of the problem. Oh. And that for me was really heartbreaking. Yeah. And I started thinking, why? Why is the church part of the problem? And I wanted the church, I still want the church to be part of the solution. So that is a story that I actually wrote in my application letter, in my application packet to study to study the, the PhD. Yeah. Um, but it also is a story that was in the back of my head pretty much for every single paper yeah. that I wrote during the 10 years that took me to finish my Master's of Divinity. Right. <laughs> yes. That's important. That's a very mm-hmm. important story. 
So, so you see that both law and theology absolutely had to do with justice, but absolutely. especially gender justice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is so funny, Elise. I didn't realize how similar, like, just our <laughs> thoughts going into those things were. Yeah, I thoughts... wish I had known what you did. <laughs> you know, because I was disappointed when I went in. I was like. Man, I was a lawyer. I don't want to be <laughs> arguing and, and critical thinking in this way and this and that. Like, no, like, that's not what I want for my life. But here I am doing a PhD and almost I, done. I had a lot of good mentors and conversation partners who helped me discern that. It was hard, though. Yeah. It was a hard decision. Um, mm-hmm. What about what's, I mean, speak to this directly, like, like since gender is important thing for you in terms of justice, why do you, what's important about being a woman doing this work for you? Um, you say this word, do you mean like ministry? Yeah. It's, it's, in, I, the kind of work I'm doing now, I have never imagined that I would end up doing. It's not what I set out to do in the first place. I think I was just pursuing my questions, but I think, I think my gender have determined my questions. Mm. And I think that, I think that my desire for, and then to learn what is, you know, because I, because by the time this woman tells me this, I already had the law degree and, and I learned through law school about the cycle of domestic violence and all the myths about it and and what keeps women in in in, in the cycle or in relationships in fact because i was pursuing this the question further my seminar my seminar paper my senior seminar project at the at, at louisville when i was about to graduate was about why why are we preaching what are, what are what are we as preachers teaching that make women believe um, that they need to stay? That yeah. is a sin to get a divorce or to. So, so if from from the from on the one hand, okay, on the one hand, it is important that I am a woman. That that the fact that my gender is female, that I adopted that as my gender identity as it was given to me, determined my question. That's one thing. But there's also this other thing which, like, I have been struggling with what are the root causes of the cycle of violence and to what extent the church plays a role in there. And and the victim blaming, how is the church doing that? Yeah. And then I, and then I started learning about, like, how different churches do it differently, right? Like, some churches are very outspoken about the submissive role of women but then in my church they didn't say that right. but they didn't say anything yeah they, right. they didn't say that it's a sin for a man to hit his wife i've never heard that in church right so so one needs to feel the silence and and one hears other things yeah, yeah and so the other side of that coin is because I want justice for other people who self-identify as women. Um, and because I'm hearing from outside of the church that the church can do better. 
And then I do my own research during my MD and I find out, yes, we definitely can do better. Then it makes, it makes a difference that I am doing this work as a woman. Yeah. Because I don't, first of all, a man as interested as he can be in the topic, they were never only, unless it's an abused man, which there are many abused men. Sure. Sure. They would not understand what is it. And even if they are, the dynamics are very different. Yeah. So the reason why abused men do not come forward are very different from the reasons that women right. who are abused do not come forward. Right. Um, or trans people. Those are different worlds. And so the dynamics are different and the reasons for not coming forward are different. Even though most of them, the common denominator, I will say, is shame. Yeah. What I found also makes a difference, and this this is more recent um, through most recent work, which that's why I was asking you, what, what do you mean by this work? Because the kind of work I'm doing now, it's, it's not like the kind of church work that I used to do growing up or that I see ministers do. But what I've seen is that it's women who, who feel more touched by it. Or vulnerable people, like gay men or trans people or right. people of color who are straight but still feel more vulnerable than most, are the ones that feel a connection with my work now, with the kind of work I'm doing now. And so in that sense, it is important, not other that, not only that women engage in ministry, but people from all gender identifications and right. identities and sexual orientations right because there's diversity in the body of christ then i think there needs to be diversity in the leadership of the body of christ yeah and that makes a difference i a man cannot minister to the people i have been ministering in the same way yeah yeah that's real that's really real yeah yeah mm-hmm. That's just such important work. I can't tell you how many times just, you know, I've lived all over the country and I tell people about, especially what I did at Vanderbilt and just now like trying to, I'm in the ordination process here in Oklahoma and how many stories I've heard from women about the shit their church has put them through because they're women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is, you're right. The church is part of the problem and it, it is, it is horrifying. And it's not even just one church. I can't say, Oh, you know, damn the Catholics. No, I, yeah. every single denomination I've heard these stories from yeah. and it's, it breaks my heart. And I, I, wow. I echo what you, what you say. Like it is so important to be a woman doing this work. It means something different and you can reach people in different ways and women need women in leadership. It's just the power dynamic, the, the lived Mm -hmm. experience that we share. It it is just, it's so important. So I, I'm, I am raising my fist with you. Keep (laughs) up the good work. Thank you. Yeah. Um, It's important to hear that as well. Yes. Yes. So last big question in this section, what does Sophia mean to you? Sophia is, Sophia is knowledge, mm. and Sophia is 
is divine knowledge and is the wild child untamable side of God and I'm in love with Sophia. <laughs> That's why I'm a philosopher. This very, this very curious moment because my first year I'm all like, do I need to like philosophy to be in a PhD? Yeah. And my my advisor said to me, well, the PH in PhD stands for philosophy. Yeah. You know that, right? <laughs> That's kind of part of the deal. And I'm all like, oh, right, yes, <laughs> right, right, right. So anyway, I was very reluctant because the idea that philosophia is supposed to be very abstract. And I really am interested in the concreteness of bodies. Mm-hmm. And and then like my fourth year, when I break it down, I remember, I remember, wait, philo is to love and Sophia is knowledge. And Sophia, the divine Sophia in scripture, in the Hebrew Bible is divine wisdom, which is not the knowledge that we call knowledge, like intellectual knowledge yeah. that university sells, is divine wisdom, it's something else. Yes. It's another it's another kind of knowledge that is right. uncontainable, right? And and then I was like, but I, I love divine wisdom. So there, therefore I philosophia. And I've always been a philosopher. So here I am. I'm in the right place. <laughs> loving Sophia, that wild side of the divine that is female and and wild and and wise and i want that wisdom and that wildness in my life thought of her as wild but that's a good word (laughs) that's a really good word i like that i have to give credit to a book that i read um Latina Evangelicas is the title of the book. Uh-huh. I cannot remember the subtitle. I can give you the information later. But um, there's the chapter on the Holy Spirit. They call it um, the wild child. But they present this wild child as feminine. Uh-huh. They don't, they don't, the connection between the Holy Spirit and Divine Sophia is not theirs. It's mine. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not in the book. I don't know if they make that connection, but I do because I always, I, did I always thought, that the that the wind that moved over the face of the deep at the beginning before yeah. creation so was that was that part of God right yeah. and that came in Pentecost that sometimes is a is a is a smooth wind like murmuring yeah that that saw the prophet in the cave yeah. but then sometimes comes as fire like in Pentecost and sometimes comes. Right as a dove, like in the baptism of Jesus, but it's the wisdom yeah. that was in God and was God from the beginning. And so that's why I made that connection. It's like, oh yeah, it has to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, but this is me. This is my own theological musings. Yeah. I, I think the similar thing, when I talk about this in pub th- theology, a lot of people ask me that, like, well, is this Holy Spirit? Is that what that is? I'm like, I think it is, but <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it's not explicit, but neither is the Trinity. I mean, right? You know, like exactly. we just make things up to make sense of it. So why mm-hmm. not? Um, yeah. I'm sure, like, um, Amy Jo Levine could shut me down or something on yeah. that thought, <laughs> but I'll ask her right. sometime when she's done. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, tell me, 
please don't, please don't mess this up for me, AJ. Like, please tell me there's a connection. <laughs> well, let me tell you, they say, um, I've read a lot I, um, that there are a lot of theologians that say, I mean, because they make this connection, they say the word that was in the beginning that incarnated in Jesus yeah. is, is divine wisdom. Yeah, that they changed so, Sophia to Logos to match the gender exactly. of Christ, right? Well, what can get more queer than that? Right? Oh, right? We, we could go on a long rabbit hole about oh, yeah, that. Yeah, I'm loving it. He's like, <laughs> I, are you sure? If it's the same, if it's the same part of the Trinity... Yeah. That Sophia is the same logo. So this, oh, this is this is great, actually. I know Jesus <laughs> was the female personification of God in a man's body. Like that's the queerest, most trans thing ever. Exactly. Yes, I'm but, loving it. <laughs> yeah, that's for a whole new, different podcast. That's it for part one with Lisa Valle. Next week, we will explore Lisa's work in liturgical arts and the creative theological responses that are ignited in her work. For more information on Theosophia, follow us on social media. Check out our website, theosophiapodcast.com, and theologycorner.net, where all my other theology blogger and podcaster friends are hanging out. Have a great week, y'all. Peace.